4. The fourth of the six essentials of Iman is to believe in the prophets sent by Allah Ta'ala. To guide to and make people attain the way he likes. Lexically, Rusul, plural of Rasul, were the people sent messengers. In Islam, Rasul means noble, respectable person whose nature, character, knowledge, and intellect are higher than those of all the people of his time and who does not have a single bad trait in his character and no disliked manner. Prophets had the quality isma, that is, they did not commit any grave or venial sins before or after they were informed of their nubuwa, prophetship, prophethood. Footnote. Some disbelievers who insidiously try to destroy Islam say, before becoming the prophet, Muhammad had offered sacrificial animals to idols and give reference to non-Madhabi books as documents. The lines above prove that this assertion is a lie. After they were informed of their prophetship and until their prophetship was known and spread, they did not have such defects as blindness, deafness, or the like. It has to be believed that every prophet had seven peculiarities. Amana, trustworthiness, sidq, devotion, tabligh, conveying commands and calling people to Allah Ta'ala's religion. Adala, justness. Isma, immunity to sinning. Fatana, superintelligence. And Amn al-Azl, security against dismissal from Nubuwa. The prophet who brought a new religion, system of ritual rules, is called Rasul. And one who did not bring a new religion but invited people to the previous one is called Nabi. Prophet and messenger are used for both. In conveying commands and calling people to Allah Ta'ala's religion, there is no difference between them. We have to believe that all prophets, without exception, were devoted and truthful. He who denies one of them is regarded as having denial of all of them. Nubuwa cannot be attained by working hard, by suffering, hunger, or discomfort, or by much worshipping. It is assigned only by Allah Ta'ala's favor and selection. Religions were sent through the meditation of prophets in order to arrange a useful life for mankind in this world and the next and to prevent them from harmful acts and make them attain salvation, guidance, peace, and happiness. Although they had many enemies and were mocked and treated harshly, prophets did not fear the enemies and showed no hesitation in communicating to people Allah Ta'ala's commands about the beliefs and practices. Allah Ta'ala supported prophets with miracles, mujizas, to show that they were devoted and truthful. No one could challenge their miracles. People who follow a certain prophet is called his ummah. On the day of judgment, prophets will be permitted to intercede for their ummahs, especially for the ones who were gravely sinful, and their intercession will be accepted. Allah Ta'ala will also permit the ulama, sulaha, and awliya among their ummas to intercede, and their intercession will be accepted. Prophets, alayhimu salawatu wa taslimat, are alive in their graves in a life we cannot know. Earth does not cause their blessed bodies to decompose. For this reason, it was stated in a hadith sharif, Prophets perform salat and hajj in their graves. Footnote Today, the people called the Wahhabis in Arabia do not believe such hadiths. They call true Muslims as disbelievers for those who believe these hadiths. Because of their misinterpretation of those ayats and hadiths with unclear, ambiguous meanings, they do not become disbelievers but become people of bid'at. They greatly harm Muslims. Wahhabism was founded by an ignoramus named Muhammad bin Abd al-Wahhab of Najd region. 
Arabia. Hemfer, a British spy, misled him by using the heretical ideas of Ahmed ibn Taymiyyah. Died, Damascus, 1328, 728. It spread among the Turks and everywhere through the books of an Egyptian named Muhammad Abdu. Died, Egypt, 1905, 1323. Scholars of Ahla Sunnah proved in hundreds of their books that Wahhabism was not a fifth madhab and that the Wahhabis were heretical, Dalala, people following a wrong way. Detailed information is provided in our books, Endless Bliss, in Confessions of a British Spy, and in Advice for the Muslim. May Allah Ta'ala protect young people that are serving their religion from falling into Wahhabism, which was established by the British. May he not let us deviate from the way of scholars of Ahla Sunnah, who are praised in many hadiths. As the blessed eyes of a prophet slept, the eyes of his heart did not sleep. All prophets السلام, were equal in doing their duties as prophets and in possessing the perfections of prophetship. The above-mentioned seven peculiarities existed in all prophets. Prophets were never dismissed from Nubuwa. Awliya, however, may be deprived of Wilaya, the state of being a wali, that is one loved by Allah Ta'ala. Prophets were human beings, not genies or angels, that could never be prophets for human beings or attain the degree of a prophet. Prophets had superiority to and honors above one another. For example, in respect to having superiorities, such as the number of those in his ummah and of the regions whereon he was designated, how widespread his knowledge and marifas, knowledge inspired to the hearts of awliya, about the dot and sifat of Allah Ta'ala were his miracles being numerous and continuous and being endowed with the exclusive gifts and blessings. The prophet of this, the latest age, Muhammad salam, was higher than all other prophets. The prophets called Ulul Azm were higher than others. Rasuls were higher than Nabis who were not Rasuls. The number of prophets salam, invocation wishing peace be upon prophets is not known. It is widely known that there were more than 124,000 of them. 313 or 315 were Rasuls. The six higher Rasuls among them, called Ulul Azm, were Adam, Nuh, Noah, Ibrahim, Abraham, Musa, Moses, Isa, Jesus, and Muhammad Mustafa, wassalam. The following 33 prophets are well known. Adam, Idris, Enoch, Sheth, Shis, Nuh, Noah, Hud, Heber, Salih, Matthew Saleh, Ibrahim, Abraham, Lut, Lot, Ismail, Ishmael, Ishaq, Isaac, Yaqub, Jacob, Yusuf, Joseph, Ayub, Job, Shuaib, Jethro, Musa, Moses, Harun, Aaron, Qadr, Yusha ibn Nun, Joshua, Ilyas, Elias, Elyasa, Elisha, Dulkifl, Ezekiel, Shamun, Ishmoel, Ismail, Yunus ibn Mata, Jonah, Dawood, David, Suleiman, Solomon, Lukman, Zechariah, Zechariah, Yahya, John the Baptist, Uzair, Ezra, Isa ibn Maryam, Jesus, Dulkarnain, Zulkarnain, and Muhammad The names of only 28 of them are written in the Qur'an al-Karim. Sheth, 
Khudr, Yusha, Shamun, and Ishmoel are not written. It is not certain whether Dulkarnain, Lukman, and Uzair were prophets or not. As written in the 36th letter of the second volume of Mektubat of Muhammad Mathum, the reports stating that Khudr, salam, was a prophet were authentic, and in the 182nd letter it is written, Khudr's, salam, appearing in a human form and doing some things do not show that he is alive. Allah Ta'ala has given Khudr's, salam, soul, as well as the soul of many other prophets and walis, the permission to appear in a human form. Seeing them does not prove that they are alive. Dhul-Kifl was also called Harkil, who was also said to be Ilyas, Idris, or Zakaria. Ibrahim السلام, was Khalil Allah, because there was no love for creatures and there was only love for Allah Ta'ala in his heart. Musa السلام, was Kalim Allah, because he spoke with Allah Ta'ala. Isa السلام, was Kalimat Allah, because he did not have a father and was born only upon Al-Kalimat Al-Ilahiyya the divine word, B. Furthermore, he preached Allah Ta'ala's words, which were full of divine wisdom, and communicated them to the ears of people. Muhammad السلام, who is the reason for the creation of all creatures, and the highest, the most prominent, the most honorable of mankind, is Habib Allah, Allah Ta'ala's darling. There were many evidences proving his greatness and superiority, and that he was Habib Allah. For this reason, such words as was overcome or was defeated cannot be said about him. On the day of resurrection, he will rise from his grave before everybody. He will be first to go to the place of judgment. He will go to paradise before everybody. His miracles are countless and human power cannot suffice to count them. We will ornament our writings by narrating the miracle of the Miraj. While Rasulullah was in bed in Al-Makkah Al-Mukarramah, Mecca, birthplace of Prophet Muhammad the holiest city of Islam, he was awakened and his blessed body was taken to the Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem, Quds, thence to the skies, and after the seventh sky, to the places which Allah Ta'ala determined. We have to believe in the Miraj in this manner. Footnote The Ismaili heretics and the enemies of Islam disguised as Islamic scholars try to deceive the youth by saying and writing that the Miraj was not a bodily ascent but a spiritual state. Hal We should not buy such corrupt books. We should not let them deceive us. How the Miraj happened is written in detail in many valuable books. For example, in Shifa'i Sharif by Qadi Iyad al-Maliki, died Morocco in 1150, 554, and endless bliss. He and Jabrail alayhi salam went from Mecca to Sidratul Muntaha, a tree in the sixth and seventh skies. No knowledge, no ascent could go further than there. In Sidra, Rasulullah alayhi salam saw Jabrail alayhi salam in his own shape with his 600 wings. Jabrail remained in Sidra. From Mecca to Jerusalem, or to the seventh sky, Rasulullah was taken on Burak, which was a white, very fast, sexless, unworldly animal of paradise, smaller than a mule and bigger than an ass. It stepped beyond eyeshot at the Aqsa Mosque. Rasulullah and other prophets performed salat in jama'at, Rasulullah conducting the salat as the imam, 
it was night prayer or morning prayer. Prophets' souls were present there in their own human figures. From Jerusalem up to the seventh sky, he was made to ascend immediately with an unknown ladder named Miraj. On the way, angels lined up on the right and on the left, praised and lauded him. At each sky, Jabrail announced the good news of Rasulullah arrival. In each sky, he saw a prophet and greeted him. In Sidra, he saw many astonishing things, the blessings in paradise and the tortures in hell. He looked at none of the blessings of paradise out of the desire for and the pleasure of seeing Allah Ta'ala's Jamal. Beyond Sidra, he went ahead alone, among nurs, radiance. He heard the sounds of angels' pens. He went through 70,000 curtains. The distance between two curtains was like a way of 500 years. Then he, on a bed named Rafraf, which was brighter than the sun, went through the kursi, part of the skies outside the seventh sky and inside the arsh, which is the end of matter bordering the skies, and reached the divine arsh. He went beyond the arsh, beyond the worlds of time, space, and matter. He reached to where he heard Allah Ta'ala. He saw Allah Ta'ala in a manner that cannot be understood or explained, just as Allah Ta'ala will be seen in the hereafter without time and space. He spoke with Allah Ta'ala with letters and sounds. He glorified, praised, and lauded Allah Ta'ala. He was given innumerable gifts and honors. He and his ummah, community of believers of a prophet, were commanded to perform salat 50 times daily but it was gradually reduced to five times with the meditation of Musa salam. Before that, Salat had been performed only in the mornings and in the afternoons or at nights. After such a long journey, having attained gifts and blessings and having seen and heard so many bewildering things, he was back to his bed, which was still warm. What we have written above was understood partly from ayats and partly from hadiths. It is not wajib to believe all. Yet, since the scholars of Ahl Sunnah stated them, people who deny these facts will be separated from the Ahl Sunnah. Those who do not believe an ayat or a hadith becomes a disbeliever. Let us cite some of the innumerable evidences showing that Muhammad is the most superior prophet, Sayyid al-Anbiya. On the Day of Judgment, all prophets will shelter in the shade of his banner. Allah Ta'ala commanded all prophets, alayhimussalam, that, if they should remain alive till the time of Muhammad who, among creatures, was Allah Ta'ala's darling elect, they should believe him and be his assistants. Also, all prophets ordered their ummas the same in their last requests. Muhammad was the Katam al-Anbiya, the last prophet, that is, no prophet will succeed him. His blessed soul was created before all prophets, the status of prophetship was given first to him. Prophetship was completed with his honoring the world. Towards the end of the world, during the time of Hazrat al-Mahdi, Isa salam will descend from heaven to Damascus and join Muhammad's salam ummah and spread Islam on the earth. The heretical people called Qadianis or Ahmadis, who were organized by the British in India in 1880-1296, tell slanderous lies about Isa salam too. Although they claim to be Muslims, they strive to destroy Islam from within. A fatwa, ruling made on a religious matter by Islamic scholars, 
was issued to declare that they were not Muslims. Another heretical group of Zindiqs who appeared in India are the group called Jamaat Tabligiya or Tablig Jama'a. Their sect was first founded in 1926-1345 by an ignoramus named Ilyas. He asserted that Muslims had deviated from the true path of Islam and that he had dreamt of a divine command to rescue them from deviation. He was preaching what he had learned from the books by his heretical masters, namely Nazir Hussain, Rashid Ahmed Kankuhi, and Khalil Ahmed Saharanpuri. To deceive Muslims, they always talk about the importance of Salat and Jama'a. However, none of their Salat or other ritual worships are acceptable since they are heretics, Ahlal Bid'ah. That is, they are outside the correct belief of Ahlal Sunnah. The first thing they have to do is to read books written by scholars of Ahlal Sunnah to free themselves of heretical beliefs and become true Muslims. People who misinterpret the ayats with hidden meanings in the Qur'an al-Kirim are termed people of bid'ah, or heretics, enemies of Islam who give such ayats meanings suitable to their treacherous and heretical thoughts are called zindiqs, who are trying to change the Qur'an al-Kirim and Islam. Such groups are founded, supported, and backed financially by the British, the greatest enemy for propagating worldwide. Members of Tablig Jama'a, who are merely ignorant and ignoble tools that have fallen into the traps set by the British unbelievers, are striving to deceive Muslims by calling themselves Ahl Sunnah, by performing Salat and by telling lies. Abdullah ibn Masud said, There will be people performing Salat although they believe in no religion. These people shall be subjected to eternal fire in the deepest ditches of hell. Some of them wearing huge turbans like stork nests built on top of minarets, growing a beard and putting on long robes, recite and misinterpret ayats to cheat Muslims. However, a hadith sharif states, Allah Ta'ala judges you not by your figures and attire, but by your hearts and intentions. Because these uneducated, ignorant liars are unable to answer the books of Hakikat Publishing, they say, Books published by Hakikat Publishing are wrong and heretical. Do not read them. The most noticeable sign to recognize heretics and zindiqs, who are enemies to Islam, is their saying wrong about the writings of the scholars of Ahl Sunnah and about the books publishing them, to prevent their being read. Our Turkish book, Faideli Bilgiler, expounds on the harms these people have been causing to Islam and quotes the answers given to them by the scholars of Ahl Sunnah. Muhammad is the highest of prophets and is Allah Ta'ala's compassion for all creatures. 18,000 worlds of beings receive benefit from his ocean of blessings. By consensus, he is the prophet for all human beings and genies. Many reports state that he is the prophet for angels, plants, animals, and for every substance. While other prophets had been sent to certain tribes in certain countries, Rasulullah was and is the prophet of all classes of beings and all the living and lifeless creatures. Allah Ta'ala had addressed other prophets by their names. As for Muhammad Allah Ta'ala favored him by addressing him, O oh my prophet, the like of every miracle that had been granted to other prophets was presented to him. Allah Ta'ala bestowed upon the beloved Prophet more gifts and granted him more miracles than those that had been granted to any other Prophet. He was made superior to all Prophets with countless honors and excellences. The moon split in two when he made a sign with his blessed finger. The stones in his palm uttered the name of Allah. 
trees greeted him by saying, O Rasulullah. The dry log named Hanana cried because Rasulullah walked away and left it alone. Pure water flowed from between his blessed fingers. The high grades of Al-Makam Al-Mahmud, praise and glory, Al-Shafa'at Al-Kubra, intercession, Al-Hawd Al-Kawthar, white as milk, river or pond of abundant goodness in paradise where the Ummah of Rasulullah will be gathered on the Day of Judgment. Al-Wasila, means of approach, and Al-Fadila, virtuous, were to be given to him in the hereafter. He had the honor of seeing Allah Ta'ala's Jamal before entering paradise during the Miraj. He had the most beautiful moral quality in the world, the most perfect faith, knowledge, gentleness, patience, gratitude, zuhd, turning away from worldly things, chastity, justness, heroism, bashfulness, bravery, modesty, wisdom, beautiful manners, helpfulness, mercy, and inexhaustible honors, and honorable traits. No one but Allah Ta'ala knows the number of miracles given to him. His religion abrogated all religions. His religion is the best and highest of all religions. His ummah is higher than all other ummahs. The awliya of his ummah are more honorable than the awliya of other ummahs. Among the awliya of his ummah, the one who deserved to be his successor, Caliph, was Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. Who was loved most by awliya and imams and was more suited for the caliphate than others. After prophets, he is the highest and the most auspicious of all human beings that have come and that will come. He was the first to attain the status and honor of caliphate. As a favor and blessing from Allah Ta'ala, he had not worshipped idols before Islam commenced. He had been protected against defect of disbelief and heresy. Footnote it is clear by these statements about Abu Bakr as-Siddiq how pitiful and ignorant people are who think and write that Rasulullah worshipped idols before his prophetship. After him, the highest of human beings is the second caliph Umar ibn al-Khattab whom Allah chose as a friend to the beloved prophet. The next highest of human beings is the third caliph of Rasulullah Dunnurain Uthman ibn Affan a treasure of favors and blessings and a source of modesty, faith and spiritual knowledge. After him, the most auspicious of human beings is the fourth caliph of Rasulullah Ali ibn Abi Talib possessor of astonishing superiorities and the lion of Allah Ta'ala. Next, Hazrat Hassan ibn Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhum became the caliph, poisoned to death in Al-Madinata Munawwara in 669-49. The 30 years of caliphate mentioned in the Hadith Sharif was completed with him. After him, the highest human being is Hazrat Hussein ibn Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhum, the light of Rasulullah's eyes. The superiority here was based on their having earned more thawab, heavenly reward for saying and doing things liked by Allah Ta'ala, abandoned their country and their beloved ones for the sake of Islam, accepting Islam before others, adapting themselves to Rasulullah to the highest extent, following his sunnah strictly, struggling in spreading his religion and preventing disbelief, mischief, and chaos. Hazrat Ali radiallahu anhu embraced Islam before all others, 
with the exception of Hazrat Abu Bakr, radiallahu anh. Yet he was a child and had no property and lived in Rasulullah's house, serving him. Therefore, his embracing Islam did not cause unbelievers to be defeated, to embrace Islam and to follow his example. On the other hand, the embracement of the other three caliphs strengthened Islam. Because Hazrat Ali and his sons عنهم, were Rasulullah's closest relatives and of Rasulullah's blessed blood, they might be said to be higher than Hazrat Abu Bakr and Hazrat Umar. But their superiority was not in every respect and did not help them surpass these great persons in every way. It was similar to Qadr's having taught something to Musa Footnote. If blood relationship were the only criterion for superiority, Hazrat Abbas should have been regarded superior to Hazrat Ali. Moreover, Abu Talib and Abu Lahab, who were very close in respect of blood, did not even have the honor and superiority existing in the lowest believer. Hazrat Fatima was higher than Hazrat Khatija and Hazrat Aisha, radiallahu ta'ala anhunna, because she was closer to the Prophet in respect of blood. But one type of superiority should not show a superiority in every respect. Islamic scholars made statements disagreeing with one another on which of these three was the highest. As understood from the Hadith Sharif, these three, Hazrat Maryam, Virgin Mary, and the Pharaoh's wife, Hazrat Asiya, were the five highest of all the worldly women. The Hadith Sharif, Fatima is superior to the women of paradise, and Hassan and Hussein are the highest youths of paradise, referred to superiority only in one respect. The next highest ones of the Sahabat al-Kiram, companions of the Prophet, were al-Asharat al-Mubashara, the ten people blessed with the good news of going to paradise. After them, the highest Muslims were the 313 Muslims who took part in the holy battle of Badr. The next were the 700 brave Muslims who took part in the holy battle of Uhud. Next to them were the Bi'at al-Radwan, the 1400 Muslims who took the oath of allegiance to Rasulullah under the tree. As As-Sahabat al-Kiram sacrificed their lives and property for the sake of Rasulullah and assisted him so it is incumbent, wajib, upon us to mention the name of any of them with veneration and love. It is never permissible to say words unbecoming their greatness. It is heresy to mention their names disrespectfully. One who loves Rasulullah has to love all of his Sahaba because a Hadith Sharif says, He who loves my Sahaba loves them because he loves me. He who does not love them does not love me. He who hurts them hurts me. And he who hurts me hurts Allah Ta'ala. A person who hurts Allah Ta'ala will certainly suffer torture. In another Hadith Sharif, he stated, When Allah Ta'ala wants to bless one of my Ummah, he places in his heart the love of my Sahaba, and he loves all of them dearly. Therefore, the battles between the Sahabat al-Kiram should not be supposed to have taken place for becoming the Caliph or for satisfying evil thoughts or sensual desires. It is hypocrisy which leads one to ruination to speak ill of them out of such a supposition, since jealousy and desire for position and addiction to the world had been completely cleared from their hearts by sitting in the presence of Rasulullah sallallahu ta'ala alayhi wa sallam 
and hearing his blessed words. They were corrected and became free from greed, ambition, grudge, and evil nature. They were entirely purified. Considering the fact that a person who stays for a few days in the presence of one of the walis, of the ummah, of the exalted prophet benefits from the wali's beautiful morals and excellences and becomes purified from worldly ambitions, how could it ever be presumed that the prophet Sahaba, our masters who loved Rasulullah more than anybody else and sacrificed their property and lives for him and abandoned their country for him and were fond of his company, which was nourishment for spirits, were not free from bad morals, that their nefs were not clean and that they fought for the carcass-like temporary world? Those great people were certainly more pure than everybody. It is unfair to liken the disagreements and combats between them to matters among us, ill-willed people, or to say that they fought to satisfy their evil, sensual, and worldly desires. It is not permissible to bear such improper thoughts against the Sahabat al-Kiram. A person who would say something against them should know that hostility towards the Sahabat al-Kiram means hostility towards Rasulullah and to speak ill of them means to speak ill of him who educated and trained them. For this reason, the great men of Islam said that lack of respect for and absence of high opinion of the Sahabat al-Kiram meant disbelief in the Messenger of Allah. The battles of Jamal, Kamal, and Safin cannot be taken as grounds for slandering them. For the Sahabis who stood against Hazrat Ali in those battles, there were religious reasons that protected all of them from being evil, even causing them to be rewarded on the Day of Judgment. A Hadith Sharif says, One reward will be given to the Mujtahid who is mistaken, and two or ten to the one who finds what is right. One of the two rewards is for employing Ijtihad. The other one is for finding the truth. Footnote, Ijtihad meaning ruling or conclusion drawn by great scholars called mujtahids through endeavoring to understand the hidden meaning in an ayat karima or a hadith sharif. The disputes and combats among those great people of Islam were not out of obstinacy or hostility but because of their different ijtihads and out of their wish to carry out what Islam commanded. Each of the Sahabat al-Kiram was a mujtahid. Footnote. For example, it is stated in the Hadith Sharif in the 298th page of Al-Hadika that Amr ibn al-As was a mujtahid. It was fard for every mujtahid to act in accordance with the conclusion he had found by his own ijtihad, even if his ijtihad might not be in agreement with that of a mujtahid much higher than he. It was not permissible for him to follow another's ijtihad. Two of Al-Imam Al-Azam Abu Hanifa Numan ibn Thabits died in Baghdad in 767-150. Students Abu Yusuf and Muhammad al-Shaybani and two of Imam Muhammad ibn Idris al-Shafi's died in Egypt in 820-204. Students Abu Saur and Ismail al-Muzani disagreed with their masters on many aspects and about some of the things which their masters said haram forbidden, they said halal, permitted, and about some of the things which their masters said halal, they said haram. They cannot be said to be sinful or evil on that account. No one has said so, for they were mujtahids like their masters. It is true that Hazrat Ali was higher and more learned than Hazrat Muawiyah ibn Abu Sufyan died in Damascus in 680-60.
and Hazrat Amr ibn al-As radiallahu ta'ala anhuma died in Egypt in 663-43. He had many superior qualities that distinguished him from them, and his ijtihad was more powerful and more accurate than their ijtihads. However, since all the Sahabat al-Kiram were mujtahids, it was not permissible for those two to follow the ijtihad of that great religious leader. It was necessary for them to act upon their own ijtihads. Question. In the battles of Jamal and Safin, a great many of the Muhajirun and Ansar among the Sahabat al-Kiram took part with, obeyed and followed Hazrat Ali. Although all of them were mujtahids, they considered it was wajib to follow him. This shows that it was wajib also for mujtahids to follow Hazrat Ali. They had to follow him even if their ijtihads did not agree with his, didn't they? Answer. Muslims who followed Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anh and fought on his side joined him not with the view of following his ijtihad, but because their ijtihads were in agreement with his ijtihad and showed that it was wajib to follow Imam Ali. Similarly, the ijtihads of many prominent companions of the Prophet did not agree with that of Hazrat Ali, and it became wajib for them to fight against him. The ijtihads of Sahabat al-Kiram came out in three different ways then. Some of them understood that Hazrat Ali was right, and it became necessary for them to follow Hazrat Ali. Another group saw that the ijtihad of those who fought Hazrat Ali was right, and it became wajib for them to follow those who fought Hazrat Ali and to fight against him. The third group said it would be necessary not to follow either side and not to fight, and their ijtihad required them not to join the war. All these three groups were certainly right and deserved to be rewarded in the hereafter. Question. The answer above shows that also those who fought against Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala an were right. On the other hand, the scholars of Ahl Sunnah have said that Hazrat Ali was right, that his opponents were wrong, that they were forgivable because they had an excuse, udr, and that they even gained thawab. What can be said about that? Answer. Al-Imam al-Shafi and Umar ibn Abd al-Aziz, two great men of Islam, said that it was not permissible to use the word wrong about any of the Sahabat al-Kiram. For this reason, it was said, It is wrong to say wrong about superiors. It is not permissible for inferiors to say such words as, He did right, he did wrong. We approve or we disapprove about their superiors. As, Allah Ta'ala did not let our hands touch the blood of these great people, so we should protect our tongues against uttering such words as, just and unjust. Those profound scholars who studied the evidences and events and said that Imam Ali was right and his opponents were mistaken in fact meant that if Hazrat Ali had had the opportunity to talk with those on the other side, he would have guided them to employ ijtihad in conformity with his ijtihad. As a matter of fact, Hazrat Zubair ibn Awam was against Hazrat Ali in the Battle of Jamal, but after studying the facts more deeply, he changed his ijtihad and stopped fighting. The words of the scholars of Ahl Sunnah, who consider the mistake as permissible, should be taken as such. It is not permissible to say that Hazrat Ali and those who were with him were in the right way and the other companions of the Prophet, who were in the other group with our mother Aisha al-Siddiqa, were on the wrong way. These combats among the Sahabat al-Kiram were results of differing ijtihad in the branches of the Ahkam al-Shari'a, rules of Islam.
They did not have any disagreements on the essentials of Islam. Today, some people speak ill and disrespectfully of the great men of Islam such as Hazrat Muawiyah and Amr ibn al-As They cannot realize that they in effect defame and belittle Rasulullah sallallahu ta'ala alayhi wasallam by defaming the Sahabat al-Kiram. It is written in Shifa al-Sharif that Imam Malik ibn Anas said, A person who swears at and slanders Muawiyah and Amr ibn al-As deserves the words he says against them. It is necessary to punish severely those who talk and write against them and who do not show respect for them. May Allah Ta'ala fill our hearts with love for His beloveds, Sahaba. Neither hypocrites nor sinful people love those superiors, but pious and Allah-fearing Muslims do. People who realize the value and greatness of Rasulullah Sallallahu Ta'ala Alaihi Wasallam, Sahaba, and who love and respect all of them and follow them, are called Ahlul Sunnah. Those who claim to love some of them and dislike others and thus slander most of them, and those who do not follow any of them are called Rafidis or Shiites. There are many Rafidis in Iran, India, and Iraq. There are none in Turkey. Some of them, in order to deceive the pure Muslim Alawis in Turkey, call themselves Alawis, which means Muslim who loves Hazrat Ali. Loving someone necessitates following in his footsteps and loving those whom he loves. If they loved Hazrat Ali, they would follow in his footsteps. He loved all of the Prophet's Sahaba. He was a counselor to Caliph Hazrat Umar, the second Caliph, who confided his secrets to him. He married his and Hazrat Fatima's daughter, Umm Gulthum, to Hazrat Umar. In a kutbah, he said about Hazrat Muawiyah, Our brothers disagree with us, yet they are not disbelievers or sinners. Their ijtihad causes them to behave so. When Hazrat Talha, who was fighting against Hazrat Muawiyah, attained martyrdom, Hazrat Muawiyah himself cleaned the dust from Hazrat Talha's face and became Imam in the Salat performed for his death. Allah Ta'ala declared in the Quran Al-Kareem, Believers are brothers. In the last Ayat Kareem of Al-Fatih Surah, Allah Ta'ala declared, The Prophet's companions love one another. Not to love even one of the Prophet's companions, or the worst of it, to bear hostility towards him, means disbelief in the Qur'an al-Kareem. Scholars of Ahlul Sunnah understood the superiority of the Sahabat al-Kiram correctly and commanded Muslims to love all of them and thereby rescued Muslims from disaster. Those people who are called Qarijis hated and bore hostility towards Ahli Bayt, immediate relatives of the Prophet, that is, our superiors, Hazrat Ali, and his sons and descendants, the Sunni Muslims, most beloved darlings, now called Yazidis. Their tenets are so heretical, they have no relation with Islam. The Wahhabis, while claiming to love all the Sahabat al-Kiram, follow not those blessed people but their own heretical way which they ascribe to the Sahaba. Wahhabism came about from the combination of the heretical opinions of Ibn Taymiyyah and an anti-Sunni man of religious profession with the lies of Mr. Hemphur, a British spy. They do not like the scholars of Ahlul Sunnah, superiors of Tasawwuf, and Shiites, and they slander all of them. They suppose that they alone are Muslims. They regard people who are not like them as apostates, and say that it is halal for them to kill and take away property of such people. Therefore, they become Ibahis, or Ibahitis, people, that is, the Wahhabis, 
who say halal about killing and taking away the property of Muslims unjustly, which is haram. They draw wrong, heretical meanings from the Qur'an al-Karim and the Hadith Sharif and think that Islam consists merely of those things. They deny the Adilla al-Shari'ah and most Hadiths. Great scholars of the four madhabs proving with documents in many books wrote that those who left the Ahl sunnah went astray into heresy and caused great harm to Islam. Footnote. For more detailed information, please read our English books, Advice for the Muslim, and Endless Bliss, and Al-Minhat al-Wahbiyya fi radd al-Wahhabiyya At-Tawassuli bin-Nabi wa bis-Salihin, and Sabil al-Najat, in Arabic, and Saif al-Abrar, in Persian. These and other valuable books written in refutation to Ahl al-Bid'ah are published by Hakikat Publishing in Istanbul, both in the chapter on Baghi in Volume 3 of Raddul Muhtar by Muhammad Amin ibn Abidin, died in Damascus in Wahhabis in 1836-1252, and in the chapter on Nikah in Turkish, Nimeti Islam. It is clearly written that the Wahhabis are Ibahis. Ayub Sabri Pasha died 1890-1308, an admiral during the time of Sultan Abdul Hamid Khan II, in his Turkish works Mirat al-Haramain and Tariq Wahhabiyan and Ahmed Javdat Pasha. In the seventh volume of his Turkish works, Osmanlı Tarihi provide detailed information about the Wahhabis. Also, Yusuf al-Nabhani in his Arabic work, Shawahid al-Haq, 3rd edition, Cairo, 1965-1385, refuted the Wahhabis and Ibn Taymiyyah at length, partly reproduced within the Arabic book, Ulama al-Muslimin wa Wahhabiyun, Istanbul, 1972. Ayub Sabri Pasha, ta'ala, wrote, Wahhabism appeared with a bloody, torturous rebellion on the Arabian Peninsula in 1791-1205. Muhammad Abduh of Egypt was one of the people who tried to spread Wahhabism and anti-Madhabism through his books around the world. Though he was a Freemason who had openly expressed his admiration for Jamal ad-Din al-Afghani, died 1867-1314, chief of the Cairo Masonic Lodge, Abduh was introduced to the youth as great scholar of Islam, enlightened intellectual, eminent reformer. Enemies of Islam, who were in ambush to ruin Ahla Sunnah and thereby annihilate Islam, insidiously incited this mischief, fitna, by disguising themselves as religious men. Abduh was lauded to the skies. Great scholars of Ahla Sunnah, the Aimat al-Madhahib, were announced to have been ignorant people. Their names were no longer mentioned but the pure, noble descendants of our ancestors, the sons of honorable martyrs, who had sacrificed their lives for the sake of Rasulullah and Islam, were not deceived by these propagandas and advertisements, for which millions of pounds had been spent. They did not even listen to or acknowledge these false heroes of Islam. Allah Ta'ala protected the children of martyrs against these immoral attacks. Today, translated books of the non-Madhabi people like Maududi, founder of Al-Jama'a Al-Islamiyya in India, died in 1979-1399. Sayyid Qutb, put to death in Egypt in 1966-1386. Hamidullah and members of Tablig Jama'a, 
are being offered to the youth. These translations, praised exaggeratedly in enormous advertisements, contain heretical ideas disagreeable with the statements of the scholars of Ahla Sunnah. We must always be alert and careful. May Allah Ta'ala wake up Muslims from unawareness for the grace of his beloved Prophet Muhammad May he protect us against being deceived by the lies and slanders of the enemies. Amin. Let us not deceive ourselves by praying only. To pray without adhering to the adat ilahiyya, divine custom of Allah Ta'ala, without working or holding on to the means, would be to ask for miracles from Allah Ta'ala. A Muslim should both work and pray. We should first hold on to the means and then pray. The first means of escaping from disbelief is to learn and teach Islam. As a matter of fact, it is obligatory, fard, and everybody's primary duty, man or woman, to learn the tenets of Ahl Sunnah, commandments and prohibitions. Today, it is quite easy to learn them because there is freedom to write and publish true Islamic books. Every Muslim must support the state which has given this freedom to Muslims. People who do not learn the beliefs and practices al-hal of Ahl Sunnah and teach them to their children are exposed to the danger of deviating from Islam and falling into the abyss of disbelief. The prayers of such people will not be accepted. Then, how can they protect themselves against disbelief. Rasulullah sallallahu ta'ala alayhi wasallam said, There is Islam where there is knowledge. There is no Islam where there is no knowledge. As one must eat and drink in order not to die of hunger, it is necessary to learn our religion in order not to be deceived by disbelievers and not become non-Muslims. Our ancestors frequently came together to read Ilmalhal books, learned their religion and thereby remained Muslims and enjoyed Islam. They handed this light of bliss correctly onto us. So, for remaining Muslims and lest our children should be deceived by the enemies from within our outside, the first and the most necessary preventive measure is to read and digest the Ilmalhal books prepared by the scholars of Ahla Sunnah. Parents who want their children to be a Muslim should have the children learn how to read the Qur'an al-Kareem. Let us read, learn, and teach our children and those we are responsible for while we have the chance. It will be difficult and even impossible for them when they go to school. It will be useless to lament after the degeneration takes place. We should not believe the deceptive, false books, newspapers, magazines, television and radio programs, movies, and websites of Zindiqs and enemies of Islam. Zindiqs, as defined by Ibn Abidin, rahimahullah, in the third volume, Raddul Muhtar, are the insidious disbelievers who, although they do not believe in any religion, pretend to be Muslims and teach things that cause disbelief as if they were Islamic, and who thus strive to lead Muslims out of Islam. Question. A person who has read translation of their corrupt books say, we should read explanations, tafsir, of the Qur'an al-Kareem. To entrust the job of learning our religion and the Qur'an al-Kareem to religious scholars is a dangerous and fearful thought. The Qur'an al-Kareem does not say, O religious scholars, it says, O Muslims, and O mankind. For this reason, every Muslim should understand the Qur'an al-Kareem himself and should not expect this job from anybody else. This person wants everybody to read books of tafsir and hadith. He does not recommend reading the books of kalam, fiqh, and ilmalhal written by Islamic scholars and superiors of Ahl Sunnah. The publication of Rashid Radaz, student of Muhammad Abdu, died in 1935-1354, book, Islam da birlik ve fiqh mezhepleri, by the Chief Office of Religious Affairs, publication number 157 in 1974-1394, caused much confusion among readers.
On many of its pages, particularly in the sixth dialogue, the book states, These statements, which are selected from non-Medhabite Rashid Rida's book, İslam'da Birlik ve Fıkıh Mezhepleri, like all non-Medhabi books, prohibits following the, the imams of the four Medhabs. It commands that everybody should learn tafsir and hadith. What would you say about it? Answer. If the passages written by non-Madhabi people are read with attention, one will easily see that they try to deceive Muslims by embellishing their heretical thoughts and separatist views with an unsound series of reasoning and false statements. The ignorant, thinking that the writing is based upon knowledge, within the framework of logic and reason, may fall for it. Yet the learned, keen-sighted people will never be caught in their traps. In order to warn the youth against the danger of non-Madhabism, or anti-Sunnism, which has been driving Muslims toward eternal perdition, scholars of Islam, rahimahumullah ta'ala, have written thousands of valuable books for 14 centuries. The following is the translation of some passages from the book Hujjat Allahi Ala Al-Alameen by Yusuf and Nabhani, died Beirut, 1932, 1350, as an answer to the question above. Not everybody can draw ahkam, rules, conclusions from the Qur'an al-Karim, since even the mujtahid imams would not be able to draw all the rules from the Qur'an al-Karim. Rasulullah sallallahu ta'ala alayhi wa sallam explained the rules from the Qur'an al-Karim in his hadiths. As the Qur'an al-Karim was explained by him only, the hadith could be understood and explained by Sahabat al-Kiram and the mujtahid imams only. In order that they could understand them, Allah Ta'ala endowed upon mujtahid imams akli, intellectual, rational, and scientific, and nakli, transmitted, religious, knowledge, powerful comprehension, keen sight, exceedingly keen mind, and many other superior faculties. Ahead of all these virtues was taqwa, protecting oneself from committing haram. Next was the divine light in their hearts. With the help of these virtues, our mujtahid imams understood what Allah Ta'ala and Rasulullah meant in their words. And, as for those they could not understand, they showed solutions for them through qiyas. Each of the four aimmat al-madhahib, the great founding imams of the four madhabs of Ahl sunnah Islam, informed that they did not speak out of their own opinion and said to their students, if you come across a sahih hadith, leave my word aside and follow Rasulullah alayhi salam hadith. People to whom our four madhab imams gave this command were profound scholars who were mujtahids like them. These scholars were the people of tarjih, examining, comparing, preferring, who knew the documents whereon the leaders of the four madhabs based their ijtihads. They studied the documents and the transmitters of the hadith on which the madhab leader had based his ijtihad and those of the newly encountered sahih hadiths, and examined which was said later, and many other variables, and thereby understood which one was to be preferred. Or, the mujtahid imam, the Imam al-Madhab decided about an incident or situation, masala, through qiyas, because the hadith, which would document or solve it, did not reach him, and his students, finding the hadith sharif, decided differently. Yet, while employing such ijtihad, the students did not go beyond the rules established by the Imam. Mujtahid muftis, who succeeded them, issued fatwa in this manner too. As is understood from all that has been written here, Muslims who have been following the four madhab imams and the mujtahids who were educated in their madhabs have been following the rules of Allah Ta'ala and His Messenger. These mujtahids understand the rules in the Qur'an al-Karim and the Hadith Sharif, which nobody else could understand, and conveyed what they understood. Muslims have been living up taklid, 
to what mujtahids understood and communicated from the book and the sunnah. Because Allah Ta'ala had declared in the 43rd ayat karima of Surah An-Nakl, If you do not know, ask those who know. Only upon the ummah of the beloved Prophet did Allah Ta'ala bestow the fortune that the four madhab imams would perform ijtihad and establish their madhabs, and that all Muslims would come together in these madhabs. Allah Ta'ala, on the one hand, created the imams of itikad, iman, beliefs, and, on the other, protected his religion from being distorted by creating the imams of madhabs. Since this blessing did not exist in Christianity and Judaism, their religions were distorted and turned into playthings. By consensus of the Islamic scholars, no deeply learned scholar capable of employing ijtihad came after 400 years following Rasulullah sallallahu ta'ala alayhi wasallam death. Anyone who defends the employment of ijtihad in the present time must be mad or quite unlearned in Islam. When the great scholar Jalal al-Din al-Suyuti Abdul Rahman rahimahullahu ta'ala died Egypt 1505-911 said that he had reached the grade of ijtihad. Contemporary scholars asked him about a question to which two different answers had been given and inquired of him to tell which answer was more dependable. He could not answer them. He said he was too busy to spare any time for it. However, he was asked to employ ijtihad on a fatwa, which was the lowest degree of ijtihad. Seeing that such a deep scholar as Asuyuti avoided employing ijtihad on a fatwa, what should we call those who force people to employ absolute mutlaq ijtihad? if we should not call them mad or ignorant of the religion. Al-Imam Al-Ghazali, rahimahullah ta'ala, died Tus, 1111-505, stated in his book, Ihya Ulum al-Din, that there were no mujtahids in his time. If a non-mujtahid Muslim learns a sahih hadith that is disagreeable to the related ruling of the imam of his madhab, and thereupon feels uneasy about doing it according to his madhab. He has to find within the four madhabs another mujtahid whose ijtihad was based on that hadith and do that thing in accordance with the madhab that mujtahid belonged to. Because it is not permissible for people who have not reached the grade of ijtihad to draw rules from the nas, the Qur'an al-Karim, and the Hadith Sharif. Now, some ignorant people claim that they have reached the grade of absolute ijtihad, that they can draw rules from the Nas, and that they no longer need to follow one of the four madhabs. They abandon the madhab they have followed for years. They attempt to refute the madhabs with their unsound reasoning. They make such ignorant, idiotic statements as, we will not follow the opinion of religious men who are like us. Deluded by the Satan and provoked by their nafs, they claim superiority. They cannot realize that by saying so, they reveal not their superiority, but their idiocy and disgrace. Among them, we also see some ignorant heretics who say and write that everybody should read tafsir books and derive rules from tafsir books and the Sahih of Al-Bukhari. O my Muslim brother, definitely avoid making friends with such idiots or reading their fabricated books, supposing that they are religious men. Hold fast to the madhab of your imam. You are free to choose any of the four madhabs, but it is not permissible to collect the facilities, ruksas, of the madhabs, that is, to unify the madhabs, which is called talfiq. Footnote. Talfiq means a ritual acts being compatible to none of the madhabs because of its being performed by mixing the easy ways of the four madhabs. After one performs an Islamic practice according to one of the four madhabs, that is, after one's performance is sahih, valid, suitable, in that madhab, once observing additionally, 
as many as possible of the conditions that are necessary in the other three madhabs, with the view that the act shall be sahih and acceptable, also in these madhabs is called taqwa, which yields much thawab, rewards in the hereafter. Muslims who can read and correctly understand hadiths should learn the hadiths that were the documents of their madhab, then do the action praised and avoid those that are prohibited by these hadiths, then learn the following, greatness and value of the Islamic religion, the perfection of Rasulullah and Allah Ta'ala's names and attributes, Rasulullah's life, virtues and miracles, the order of this world and the next, of the resurrection, the judgment, paradise and hell, angels, genies, ancient ummas, prophets, and their heavenly books, the superiorities peculiar to Rasulullah and to the Qur'an al-Kareem, the lives of his al, immediate relatives, and those of his sahaba, the signs of the last day, and much more knowledge about this world and the next. Extensive information pertaining to this world and the next has been accumulated in Rasulullah hadiths. As what is written here is understood, it becomes apparent how ignorant one is who says that those religious decisions made by mujtahids based on hadiths are useless. Among the innumerous items of information given in hadiths, those hadiths teaching ibadat and mu'amalat, relations between people, such as Islamic commercial law, are very few. According to some scholars, there are about 500, including the repetitive ones. There are no more than 3,000. Among so few hadiths, it is not presumable that any of the four madhab imams might not have heard one sahih hadith. Every sahih hadith was used as a document by at least one of the four madhab imams. A Muslim who sees that a certain deed in their own madhab disagrees with a sahih hadith should perform that deed by following another madhab which based its ijtihad on that hadith. Perhaps the imam of that person's madhab also had heard of the hadith, yet following another hadith which he understood to be more sahih or, being said later, cancelled the former or, for some other reasons known to mujtahids, he did not take the former hadith as a document. It is good for a Muslim who understands that a hadith is sahih to follow the hadith by giving up their madhab's ruling, which does not conform to that hadith, yet, in this case, they have to imitate another madhab which used that hadith in its ijtihad for the matter in question, because the imam of that second madhab, knowing those documents of that ruling unknown to that person, found out that there was nothing to prevent acting upon that hadith. Nevertheless, it is well permissible for that person to carry out the matter in accordance with their madhab, for it is doubtless that the imam of their madhab relied upon a sound document in his ruling. Islam deems it excusable for a muqallid, follower of, one adhering to, a madhab, not to know that document, for none of the imams of the four madhabs deviated from the book and the sunnah in ijtihad. Their madhabs are the explanations of the book and the sunnah. They explain the meanings and rules in the book and the sunnah for Muslims. They explain them in a way that Muslims can understand them and wrote them in books. This work of the four madhab imams ta'ala, was such a tremendous service to Islam that human power would not have sufficed for doing it if Allah Ta'ala had not helped them. These madhabs are one of the most ideal evidences of the fact that Rasulullah is the true prophet and Islam is the true religion. The difference in the ijtihads, Aimmat al-Madhahib, were only in matters pertaining to practices, furu ad-din, in matters of fiqh, Islamic law, 
based on teachings of the Qur'an al-Karim and Hadith. There was no disagreement among them in respect to belief, usul al-Din, the knowledge of itikad or Iman. Nor did they differ from one another in those teachings of practices, which are known to be essential in the religion and which were taken from those Hadiths whose documents were conveyed by way of tawatur, successive, repetitive, multi-sourced, so doubtlessly true, widespread reporting of original Islamic information. They differed only in some aspects of knowledge concerning practices. This arose from the difference in their understanding, the soundness of the documents of these matters. This little difference among them is Allah Ta'ala's compassion over the Ummah. Muslims are permitted to follow any madhab they like and find easy. Rasulullah sallallahu ta'ala alayhi wa sallam foretold this difference as glad tidings, and it has happened as foretold. It is not permitted to employ ijtihad in the knowledge of itikad, that is, in the facts to be believed. It gives way to deviation and heresy. It is a grave sin. There is only one correct way in matters pertaining to belief. Ahlul sunnah wal jama'ah. The difference which was declared to be Allah Ta'ala's compassion in the Hadith al-Sharif was the difference in practices. In a matter on which the judgments of the four madhabs differ from one another, only one judgment is correct. Those who act in this correct way will be given two thawabs, and those who act according to one of the incorrect judgments will be given one thawab. Madhabs, being a compassion, reveals the fact that it is permitted to quit one madhab and follow the ruling of practice in another madhab. But, excepting four known madhabs, it is not permitted to follow any of the madhabs that belong to Ahlul Sunnah, nor even Sahabat al-Kiram, since their madhabs were not put into written form and have been forgotten. There is now no possibility for following any madhab other than the known four. Imam Abu Bakr Ahmed al-Razi, rahimahullahu ta'ala, died 980-370. Two reported that it had been declared unanimously by scholars of Islam that it was not permissible to follow directly Sahabat al-Kiram. I recommend that those who want to understand well the superiority of the madhabs of mujtahids, especially of the four Ayy Madhahib, the fact that their madhabs did not deviate from the book and the sunnah, and that the rules conveyed by them through ijma and qiyas were not their own opinions but were taken from the book and the sunnah, should read the books Al-Mizan al-Kubra and Al-Mizan al-Qadriya by Imam Abd al-Wahhab al-Sharani rahimahullah ta'ala. Footnote Yusuf al-Nabhani Hujjatallahi ala al-Alameen Page 771 The above long quotation translated from the Arabic original contains additions from other books that were put in brackets as done in all our books to separate them from the translated text. The Arabic original was reproduced by Offset in Istanbul in 1974-1394. It is not correct to say Qur'an al-Karim does not say religious scholars. There are various ayats which praise scholars, ulama, and knowledge, ilm. Hazrat Abdul Ghani al-Nablusi died 1731-1143, wrote in his work Al-Hadika. The seventh ayat of Surah Al-Anbiya orders, Ask the men of dhikr about what you do not know. Dhikr, remembering Allah Ta'ala, means knowledge. This ayat al-karima 
commands unlearned people to find scholars and learn from them. It is expressed in the seventh ayat karima of Surah Al-Imran. Only possessors of knowledge understand the meanings of ambiguous ayats. In the 18th ayat karima of the same surah, that Allah Ta'ala is existent and unique is understood and reported by possessors of knowledge. In the 81st ayat karima of Surah Al-Qasas, possessors of knowledge said to them, Shame on you! The rewards Allah Ta'ala will give to those who believe and do good deeds are better than worldly favors. In the 56th ayat karima of Surah Rum, possessors of knowledge and belief will say, Well, this is the day of resurrection, which you denied in the world. In the 108th ayat karima of Surah Isra, possessors of knowledge upon hearing the Quran al-Kareem will prostrate and say, there is no defect in our owner who does not break his word. In the 54th ayat of Surah Hajj, possessors of knowledge understand that the Quran al-Kareem is the word of Allah Ta'ala. In the 50th ayat Kareem of Surah Ankabut, the Quran al-Kareem has settled in the hearts of possessors of knowledge. In the 6th ayat Kareem of Surah Saba, possessors of knowledge know that the Quran al-Kareem is the word of Allah Ta'ala and makes one attain his approval. In the 11th ayat Kareem of Surah Al-Mujadala, high ranks will be granted to possessors of knowledge in paradise. In the 27th ayat Kareem of Surah Al-Fatir, only possessors of knowledge fear Allah Ta'ala. And in the 14th ayat Kareem of Surah Al-Hujurat, the most valuable among you is the one who fears Allah Ta'ala much. It is declared in the hadiths quoted in the 365th page of the same book, Al-Hadika. Allah Ta'ala and the angels and all creatures pray for him who teaches people what is good. On the day of judgment, first prophets, then scholars, and then martyrs will intercede. O men, be it known that knowledge can be acquired by listening to the scholar. And learn knowledge. Learning knowledge is an ibadah. The teacher and the learner of knowledge will be given the reward of jihad. Teaching knowledge is like giving alms. Learning knowledge from the scholar is like performing tahajjud, salat performed after isha, night prayer, in the last third of the night before fajr, morning prayer. Tahir Bukhari, rahimahullah ta'ala, died 1147-542. The author of the fatwa book entitled Kulasa wrote, Reading fiqh books yields more thawab than performing supererogatory. Prayers at nights, for it is fard to learn the fards and harams from scholars or their books. Reading fiqh books in order to carry out what is learned or teach others is better than performing salat al-tasbih, which is anafila, extra supererogatory, ritual prayer. It is declared in a hadith sharif, learning knowledge is more meritorious than all extra acts of worship, for it is useful both for oneself and for those whom one will teach. The person who learns in order to teach others will be rewarded like siddiqs, the good truth-tellers. Islamic knowledge can be learned only from a master and from books. People who say that Islamic books and guides are unnecessary are liars or zindiks who deceive Muslims and lead them to ruination. The knowledge in religious books is derived from the Quran al-Kareem and Hadith Sharif. Allah Ta'ala sent Rasulullah to communicate, to teach the Quran al-Kareem. Sahabat al-Kiram learned the knowledge in the Quran al-Kareem from Rasulullah. The Islamic scholars learned it from Sahabat al-Kiram, and all Muslims learned it from the Islamic scholars and their books. It is declared in hadiths, knowledge is a treasure. Its key is to ask and learn. Learn and teach knowledge. Everything has a source. The source of taqwa 
is the hearts of Arifs, and teaching knowledge is an atonement for sins. And Imam al-Rabbani, rahmatullahi ta'ala alayh, wrote in the 193rd letter of the first volume of his Maktubat, a mukalla, sane and adolescent, so religiously responsible, person first has to correct their iman, itikad, that is, to learn the knowledge of belief written by the scholars of Ahl sunnah wal Jama'ah, and believe accordingly. May Allah Ta'ala plentifully reward those great scholars for their works. Amin. Salvation from torture in the hereafter depends upon believing what they conveyed. People who follow their path are called Sunni. Only they are those who follow in the footsteps of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and his Sahaba Radwanullahi Alayhim Ajma'een. The right and valuable teachings among the knowledge derived from the book, the Quran Al-Kareem, and the Sunnah, the Hadith Sharif, are the teachings understood and reported only by these great scholars from the book and the Sunnah. Since every person of Bid'at, that is, every reformer, every heretic, and non-Madhabite person claims that, with their short sight, they derived their own evil thoughts from the book and the Sunnah, attempting to defame and belittle the scholars of Ahl Sunnah. As is seen, not every word or writing claimed to be derived from the book and the Sunnah should be accepted as correct, nor become deceived by their gilded propaganda. For explaining the belief of the scholars of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, the book Al-Mutamad, written in Persian by Hazrat Fadlullah bin Hassan Turpashti, a great Islamic scholar of fiqh in the Hanafi Madhab who died in 1263, 661, and which explains the true creed conveyed by the Ahl Sunnah scholars is quite valuable. It is written explicitly, so it is easy to understand. The book was printed by Hakikat Publishing in 1989-1410. After correction of the teachings related to belief, we should learn halal, permissible, lawful in Islam, haram, prohibitions in Islam, fard, commandments in Islam, wajib, necessary, obligatory in Islam, sunnah, act, thing that has been commanded by Allah Ta'ala and which was done and liked by Rasulullah as an ibadat, mandub, recommended actions, reward giving, and makruh, those things disliked, offensive. From books of fiqh, written by the scholars of Ahl Sunnah, and act in accordance with them, we should not read the heretical books published by ignorant people who could not understand the superiority of these scholars. Muslims who have a belief non-suitable with the belief of Ahl Sunnah will not escape going to hell in the hereafter. May Allah Ta'ala protect us. If a Muslim whose belief is correct but is slack in ibadat, they may be forgiven even if they do not repent. Even if they are not forgiven, they will be saved from hell after torture. The main purpose is to correct one's belief. Khwaja Ubaidallah al-Ahrar, Qaddas Allah Ta'ala Sirrahu al-Aziz, died Samarkand, 1490-895, said, If I were given all the kashfs, unveiling of divine mysteries, and all the karamats, supernatural wonders of walis. And yet, if I were deprived of the belief of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, I would consider myself ruined. If I did not have any kashf or karama and had many faults, and if I were gifted with the belief of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, I would not feel sorry. Today, Muslims in India are quite desolate. Enemies of Islam attack from every direction. One coin given for serving Islam today earns more thawab, rewards presented in the hereafter for good deeds and piety, than thousands of coins given some other time. 
The greatest service to be done for Islam is to obtain books of Ahl Sunnah that teach belief, rituals, and to distribute them to villagers and young people. The most achieved and fortunate of people are those who are granted this service. They must rejoice over it and thank Allah Ta'ala very much. It is always meritorious to serve Islam. But at such times as these, when Islam is weakened, when many efforts are made to destroy Islam through lies and slanders, it is far more meritorious to strive to disseminate the belief of Ahl Sunnah. Rasulullah sallallahu ta'ala alayhi wasallam said to his Sahaba, You live in such a time that if you obeyed nine-tenths of Allah ta'ala's commands and prohibitions, but disobeyed one, you would perish, you would be tortured. After you, there will come such a time that people who obey only one-tenth of commands and prohibitions will be saved. It is the present time that the Hadith Sharif pointed out. It is necessary to struggle against disbelievers, to know who those are that attack Islam and dislike them. Footnote. Jihad through force. Jihad Katli is made by the state through its army. Muslims performing this kind of jihad is the undertaking of being a soldier, performing the duty given to them by the state. Also, as written in the 65th letter of Mektubat, Jihad Kauli, which is made through speech and writing, is better, earning more thawabs, than Jihad Katli. For disseminating the books and words of the scholars of Ahl Sunnah, one does not have to be a man of wonders or a scholar. Every Muslim should struggle to do it. The opportunity should not be missed. On the Day of Judgment, every Muslim will be questioned on this and will be asked why they did not serve Islam. Those who do not strive to distribute the books teaching Islam and those who do not help people and institutions spreading the Islamic teachings will be tortured very bitterly. Excuse or pretext will not be accepted. Although prophets السلام, were the most superior and notable of human beings, they never looked after their own comfort in disseminating Allah Ta'ala's religion. The way to endless bliss, they strove day and night. To those who asked for miracles, they replied, Miracles are created by Allah Ta'ala. My duty is to inform of His religion. As they worked for this purpose, Allah Ta'ala helped them and created miracles. We too should disseminate the books and the teachings of the scholars of Ahl Sunnah, Rahimahumullah Ta'ala, and tell young people and their friends the evilness, baseness, and deceit of disbelievers, enemies, and of those who slander and persecute Muslims. People who do not work for this purpose through wealth, power, or profession will not escape torture. While working for this purpose, suffering distress and persecution must be deemed great happiness and a big profit. Prophets, السلام, while informing of Allah Ta'ala's commands to people, underwent the attacks of ignorant and degenerate people. They suffered very much. Muhammad, السلام, Allah Ta'ala's beloved, who was chosen to be the greatest of those great men, stated, no prophet experienced so much persecution as I did. Ahl Sunnah scholars who showed the right way to all Muslims on the earth and guided us to learn the religion of Muhammad without any change or distortion were those scholars who reached the grade of Ijtihad of the four madhabs. Of these scholars, four of them were the most prominent. The first one was Al-Imam Al-Azam Abu Hanifa Numan ibn Thabit. He was one of the greatest Islamic scholars. He became the leader of Ahl Sunnah. He was born in Kufa in 699 AD. 
and he was martyred in Baghdad in 767-150. The second one was Imam Malik ibn Anas, rahimahullah ta'ala, who was a very great scholar. In Raddul Muhtar ibn Abidin wrote that he had lived 89 years in Medina from 708-90 to 795-179. His grandfather was Malik bin Abi Amr. The third one was Imam Muhammad ibn Idris al-Shafi, rahimahullah ta'ala, who was held in high regard by all Islamic scholars. He was born in Gaza, Palestine, in 767-150, and passed away in Egypt, 820-204. The fourth one was Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal, rahimahullah ta'ala, who was born in Baghdad in 780-164, and passed away there in 855-241. He is among the main pillars of Islam. Today, a person who does not follow any of these four great Imams is in great danger. They are in heresy. Besides them, there were many other Ahlul Sunnah scholars who had righteous madhabs too. But in the course of time, their madhabs were forgotten and could not be committed to books. For instance, the seven great Medinan scholars who were called Al-Fuqaha al-Sabah and Umar ibn Abd al-Aziz, Sufyan ibn Uyayna, died in Mecca, 813-198. Ishaq ibn Rahawayh, Dawud al-Tai, Amir ibn Sharahil al-Shabi, Layth ibn Saad, Amash, Muhammad ibn Jarir al-Tabari, Sufyan al-Thawri, died Basra, 778-161, and Abdurrahman Awza'i, Rahimahumullah ta'ala are among them. All the Sahabat al-Kiram radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'een were rightfully the stars for guidance. Any one of them would have sufficed the entire world to the right way. They were mujtahids, each belonging to his own madhab. Most of their madhabs were alike. Yet, since their madhabs were not collected nor written in books, it is not possible for us to follow them. The madhabs of the four imams, that is, what they conveyed about the things to be believed and about the things to be done, were gathered together and explained by both themselves and their students. They were committed to books. Today, every Muslim must belong to the madhab, one of the above-mentioned four imams, and live up to and perform ibadat, worship rituals, in accordance with that madhab. Footnote. One who does not want to follow any of these four madhabs has no relation to Ahl sunnah among the students of these four imams, which became scholars themselves, two reached very high grades in spreading the teachings of Iman, Islamic belief. Thus, there became two madhabs in Itikad or madhabs in Iman. The correct belief in accordance with the Qur'an al-Karim and the Hadith Sharif is only the belief shown by these two imams, who spread across the earth the belief of Ahl sunnah which is the group of salvation, Al-Furqat Al-Najiyyah. One of them was Abu Al-Hasan Ali Al-Ash'ari, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, born Basra 879-226, died Baghdad 941-330. The other one was Abu Mansur Al-Maturidi, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, died Samarkand 944-333. In respect of belief, every Muslim has to follow one of these two great Imams. The paths, turuk, plural of tariq, tariqa, 
routes, orders of tasawwuf, of the awliya, plural, of wali, one loved and protected by Allah Ta'ala, are right. Not even to, to a smallest degree have they deviated from Islam. Footnote. In every century there have been liars and heretics who used the religion as a means for their worldly advantages and who came forward in disguise of walis, murshids, mature spiritual guide, or men of religious authority. There are still evil people in every profession, in every branch of crafts, and in every official position today. Seeing people who look for their advantages and pleasures in others' harm, it would be injustice or ignorance to blemish all crafts and people with whom they have had relation with. It would help those who exploit others. For this reason, the existence of heretical men of religion and ignorant, false men of Turuk, should not cause us to speak ill of Islamic scholars, people of Tasawwuf or great personages whose honorable services have filled annals of history. We should realize that people who slander them are unjust. The awliya do possess karamat, plural of karama, wonders, marvels, worked by Allah Ta'ala through awliya. All their karamat are sound and true. And Imam Abdullah al-Yafi'i died Mecca, 1367-76, said, Gautha thakalain maulana abdal qadir al-jilaniz, qaddas Allah Ta'ala sirrahu al-aziz, died Baghdad, 1161-561. Karamat have been so widely known that one cannot doubt or deny them since Tawatur. Successive, repetitive, multi-chain, doubtlessly true, widespread reporting of original Islamic information is a documentary evidence for authenticity. It is not permissible, based on hearsay, to call those who perform Salat disbeliever unless their disbelief is understood from their saying, openly and without darura strong necessity or compulsion. A statement or their using something which causes them to become a disbeliever. We cannot curse them unless it is certainly known that they died as a disbeliever. It is not permissible to curse even a disbeliever. For that matter, it is better not to curse Yazid, son of Hazrat Mu'awiyah radiallahu ta'ala an, who murdered Hazrat Hussein radiallahu ta'ala an.